Welcome to The Living Room, a cozy place of candid conversation. We're a group of women in various ages and stages of life. Join us for thoughtful discussion with a side of humor. We chat about everything from parenting issues to life balance, what matters most, and how to make it happen in everyday life. Settle in just to listen or feel free to add your comments online at www.fromthelivingroom.com. And now, your hosts for today's show. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Living Room. We are so excited to be together again, to be recording the show for you, and to be talking about an awesome conversation. But before we do that, I want to introduce who is with us. I am your host today, Michelle. We also have Heather and Jody, And Jana will be joining us in progress. We also are recording today with kids out of school. So if you hear happy laughter or maybe even some tears, you'll know that we are still powering through on the living room <laughs> with kids in tow that are out of school today. So... Um, Today we're having a conversation that has come as a result of a chat that I had with a friend a couple of weeks ago. Now, I have two little kids that are under the age of 10, and so I do not have teenagers, but we were talking about how to raise teenagers, which I have zero advice on whatsoever. Um, I know how to not raise me as a teenager, but that's pretty much my only experience in the teenager raising department is just how I was raised. And my mother was awesome. I shouldn't say how not to raise me, but I was, I'm kind of being funny and it didn't come out funny. It came out like (laughs) my mom was a bad mom. She was great. Let's just be clear. I had a great mom. Um, she was a little bit strict, Mom, but that if was you're listening. what I needed. Mom, I love you, heart. I should have invited my mother on this show because she had to raise three different kinds of teenagers. But so today is a little bit more question and answer format. I will have very little to offer in the conversation, but I'm excited for the insights that Heather, Jody, and Jana can provide to us as we talk about the conversation of raising teenagers. So um, before we get started, I would love to also talk about that little preteen age just for a minute and have you share if you feel like there are some unique challenges with preteens that are either the same or different now than they ever have been before. And if you have any thoughts or insights on helping those preteens become teenagers so that as they are teenagers, they're a little bit easier to work with, deal with and handle. Anybody have any thoughts or comments about those preteens? I have a 11 and a half year old, soon to be 12, well, six months. And she is just on that verge of like wanting more individual individuality, more self-sufficiency, and yet still needs me in a lot of ways. Um, And even, for example, just doing hair. It's interesting because I had (laughs) one daughter that just, you know, by the time she was in third and fourth grade, she was figuring out how to braid hair and how to do things and ponytails. And it didn't always look spectacular, (laughs) but she was so proud of Mm -hmm. herself. And, and, um, my Zoe is just, she struggles with it a little bit more. It's harder for her. She has friends that can do their hair so easily. And, and this has been a big deal for her. And it's been a big deal because I think it has affected the way that she's seeing herself. And so as I'm watching this struggle, um, you know, take place between, oh, I want to be able to, I want to be able to do my hair and put my outfits together. And I don't say anything on our outfits anymore because, you know, that's just the worst thing I think you can do to a preteen is, is start to comment on what they put together because they think what they put together is fabulous. And the one little comment that you make just, oh, you see it in their face. So with hair and things like that, I think I'm watching her try to blossom and try to become that more 
self-sufficient individual and yet she still needs me and it's a fine balance and every day I'm walking that fine line and sometimes I do really well sometimes I get the eye roll sometimes I get the mom you know and uh, so as much as I've parented three other preteens prior this one has a whole different personality. Some days she wants me, some days she doesn't. <laughs> so that's where I am right now. And my advice is go with the flow, you know, go with whatever it is that's happening. Don't turn it into such a serious thing. If, if she's getting upset because I'm not doing the braid just right and I'm pulling her, I, I have to remember to take a big breath. You know, it's just hair. It's just socks. It's just a pair of pants. And uh, getting her out the door to feel happy and have self-worth. And I'm, I'm trying to keep that bigger picture because eventually she will learn to do her braids and she will learn how to match outfits perfectly and, you know, and, and, and not have a crisis because the backpack isn't the one that she wanted to take because she can't get the one with the button that just won't work right, you know. Mm -hmm. So if that makes any sense, it's just letting it go a little bit. And being okay with just the uneasiness of trying to see her figure out who she is and who she's becoming. Yeah, that's great. Heather? Well, I know first comes to mind, I think it's important to understand developmentally what our kids are going through during this time. And there's so much going on. You know, they exhibit they exhibit behaviors and we're like, what is wrong with you? What is going on? Are you crazy? It's just a backpack or it's just your hair or it's just your shoes or your socks. But there's so much going on, especially in their brains, that they don't even understand yet. It's it's such a developmental time for them that they have to really, I think, understand that first. And I know that helps me when I think, wait a second, their brain is firing a million miles a minute, but they have no experiences to back up what their brain is doing and what's going on. Not only that, but I know for us in our home, we try really hard to recognize a couple other things, which is that one, they're looking for that autonomy. It's this time where they really are seeking out and just starting to push you know, the boundaries of, can I do it myself? But while they're doing that, they can venture out when they know that their home is really stable. And so for us, something that we try to do, we have a 14 and a half year old and a 12 year old now. And for both of them, the more secure I can make our home, the more they feel like they can venture out away from it because they always know they can come back to that security. So that's something else. I think if we're throwing out, you know, things that not only research shows, but that I know help in our home, that would be another one too. A big one is to make sure that that security is always there so they can seek out that autonomy. But this is also a time of acceptance, right? I mean, I'm sure you've seen that with your your kids. Our teenagers want more than anything to be accepted in our preteens. And so we need to help them find a place where they're accepted besides their own home. Otherwise, they go run with a crowd that's not so fantastic because sure. that crowd will always take them. That will They will always accept them. And so it's also a really vital time to help them find whether it's an instrument or a sport or a passion of some sort that they can channel not only their, you know, their drive into, but also feel accepted so that they know they belong and develop that identity because they belong to a group. You know, I've heard that before. I, again, I don't have kids that I can give them things, but you need to give them an opportunity or a, a talent or a skill or something that can provide them some confidence. And I think that I think about that now, I, I feel like it's not my job to have them pick one thing that right now while my kids are under 10 that it's my job to give them an opportunity to try lots of different things so that they can kind of find their favorites and find their goals whereas in that age and as they move into 12 13 14 that they kind of find that place and they can have multiple things that they do but it's that's about the time where they say oh i'm, I'm good at this or i like this and they kind of focus a little bit more 
So I can just to throw in there before you move on, Michelle, and I don't know if we've covered this talking about kids in another show, but what you're talking about is so important. There's great research that shows that kids need very much unstructured playtime during these years, too. We always think that it's kind of like, oh, by the time you're 10, we got to get you in something and you've got to be spending mm-hmm. four hours a day. And we actually find that that really hurts them. And until they're about 13, their time should be 50% structured and 50% pure play, just pure play where they just get to do whatever the heck they want. Right. And that even leads up till they're kind of 16, 17, 18. And that's only when they should start kind of specializing in things. So what you're saying is really important. It's, it's just a time for them to experience and try lots of things and figure out who they are and where they feel comfortable. Well, and what you said to t- to speak to that point, one of the things that I struggle with my kids is helping them understand to play independently mm-hmm. without screens. So like it all day long, they'll stay away from me if I give them an iPad or sure. free reign on the Wii U and they're doing that. But then all the time we're having conversations and they're saying, I'm bored and I'm tired. I don't, I have nothing to do in a house full of toys, games, activities, crafts, um, backyard, backyard, yard, all these friends. things. And it's like <clears throat> trying to help them figure out how to play independently and figure out and not even play independently. They can play with each other or play with me, but letting them come up with the ideas of what that is and asking them questions so that they do that. We've talked about that before too. So let me ask you this. One of the things that I think about, and that is one of my biggest fears is, is what something that you talked about, about them finding a place of acceptance that I don't want them to find it. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on helping your kids find good friends and build solid relationships with people who will build them and strengthen them and also help them make good choices? I think giving opportunity is a big part of it. Um, you mentioned this unstructured play. So my Zoe doesn't really have something that she's really passionate about. She's passionate about art, but yet it's not like she wants to go take art classes for four hours a week. She's, she loves to dance, but it's not like she's going to become a, a prima ballerina or anything. She just likes to dabble in it. She's a dabbler, but she has tons of friends and she, that's her talent. That's what I've told her. I'm like, you can get along with anyone. And, and that is a talent. And so that has kind of become her unstructured play. And I haven't worried so Mm -hmm. much as I've watched other families have their kids like involved in three and four different things. It it gave me like a a cause to wonder like, Oh oh my gosh, I need to force Zoe to choose something or do something. But I I got that validation a long time ago of just letting her be, this is what she loves to bring a friend home pretty much every day after school. (laughs) And, uh, and they, they get on, they'll make, um, brownies and record it on YouTube and have her little Zoe channel. And, um, I mean, it's a 45 minute thing of watching her make brownies, but they just get this immense enjoyment from it. Now, all of her friends gravitate towards the same values. And I didn't necessarily create that. I have another daughter who from a very early age chose a crowd that was much different. Um, I'll use the word popular, not that popular has to be negative, but that was where she was drawn to. And um, she's now a senior and there were ups and downs and there were ups and downs because of the kinds of friends that she chose. And yet what I what, what I can say coming out on the other end and we've been through uh, mother daughter counseling. We've been through a lot of a lot of intervention in terms of my husband and I developing a really strong relationship with her. I can say that the key in parenting for me has been keeping watch, staying close 
even when they choose friends that are not exactly who you want, you can sometimes say, we're laying down the law. And guess what? They will find a way to go to a football game, to hang out with that friend, and just be with that friend. So we invited friends over. We did everything we could to say, this is a safe haven. You can be here. And lo and behold, over time, this daughter began to say, you know what? These aren't so much the kinds of friends that I want. It took time. It took patience. One of the biggest moments of like, oh, yes, was a letter I received from her just saying, Mom, thank you for being my mom, for being there. So as much as I think I wanted to believe years and years ago, 21 years ago, when I became a mom, that I would have absolute control once my kids hit school as to who they were going to be friends with. You do have children that gravitate and you have to gravitate. You have to allow them to gravitate, but give lots of guidance, pull them in. If, if they jump a fence, guess what? You go jump that fence and bring them back in and you just don't give up. There's going to be a different, a different climate that each set of friends have. In fact, that's one of the things the counselor shared with me when she was asking my daughter, what kind of climate do you think the friends that you've gravitated towards have? Is it a rebellious climate? Is it a prideful climate? I mean, there's all different kinds of climates and what kind of climate does that bring back to you and dump on you? And all of a sudden that light bulb went on to go, oh my goodness, I have, I have, I've chosen some friends with a climate that may not be the kind of climate that I truly, truly desire. So I think teaching, I think it's about teaching learning and growing but we never 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 give up and if we if we honestly build our our kids account or their emotional bank account never making them think that they're bad because they are different than somebody else or different than a sister or different than a brother and what they kind of gravitate towards as long as you're teaching as long as you're pulling them back in you have a much much better chance i just don't want parents to give up hope to think that just because a kid just doesn't go with, you know, the, the band group and the choir group and the group that you think is safe and that's always going to do the right thing, um, that there's that there's no hope. There's always hope. It's just staying close to your kid. Yeah, that's great. Heather? Yeah, I mean, I could just second all of that. I, I think we have to realize when our kids make choices, especially in these teenagers that we're not supportive of because it goes against a value system or a belief system. It means they're lacking something. They're starving for something. Every relationship has, has basic needs. I mean, we can break them down and we all have those basic needs. And so we really can start looking and seeing, well, what need is not being met for my child? What do they need? Is it safety? Is it trust? Is it respect? You know, is it, is it dedication? What don't they have? And I think that helps a lot because we can then kind of find those gaps and say, Oh, well, she doesn't trust me or, she doesn't feel any appreciation from me. I, I need to make it very clear how much I appreciate her. If those needs aren't met, we become selfish. It's the same in marriage. And selfish means self-preserving. We're going to go meet those needs ourselves. And so when we start to have kids who are running into those troubles, we really need to take a step back, I think, and decide, well, where's the starvation? What is the need that's not being met? And how can we do that? And I know for us, and when I work with families, I always kind of teach them to create, in a sense, kind of a trough. Because if, I don't know, if we think of a very straight, narrow path, which is what we'd all love our children to follow, regardless of, you know, what home, you you know what you want your kids to do, that we don't all fit in that very narrow path. And so instead, if we can just make this nice big trough where everything in it we're okay with, 
they can bounce around in there and still feel a lot of autonomy in their choices and in what they decide. And so I think that really helps us, you know, we've learned it with our son. I expected our son to play baseball. Um, my grandpa played baseball, you know, collegially. My dad did. My brothers did. I could hit a baseball before I could walk. It was what we did. And our son doesn't like baseball. And that's a stupid thing. We're not talking drugs or, I mean, he's, but I remember thinking, this is not okay. Like, you are a fourth generation <laughs> baseball player. You pick up the bat. We're going to practice. This is what we do. And it was an adjustment for me to go, wait a second. I, I didn't take into account, even though I have spent a lot of years in school studying this, I didn't take into account the fact that you're your own person and and I need to accept that. And so he is a swimmer. He loves swimming. He sacrifices sleep for it. And friends, he does will sacrifice anything to swim. But I couldn't get him to put on cleats without grumbling to save me. And so I had to take a step back and go, oh, man, okay, you are your own person. Well, is swimming in our trough of things that are acceptable? Absolutely sure. it is. Absolutely. That is a good thing. Is it my dream for you? Well, it is now. But was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> but it's but it's in all the good things. Right. And so we have to we have to give them that space to figure out what their good things are. But I think, too, we've got to, I mean, like you were saying, so much of this is spending time with them and knowing them. Coming up with a shared activity you can do with your children where you're building on something that's not discipline, that's not household chores, that's not work. I mean, we've, we've really got to be a part of their lives. I think that's a really good point. And I think that we've had some, some great conversations that are good for me to remember in terms of helping them find the things that they want, that they feel good at, that help them to excel and help them to find good friends and good cultures. I love that idea of, of helping them recognize what kind of cultures that creates. So the next question that this mama brain has is how do you keep the lines of communication open with your teens? What are the ways that you because a lot of parents will say, my kid, my teens just won't talk to me. And I'm some teen, this, I'm not putting all teens into that category because I know some who say too much, you know, mm -hmm. they either say too much or they don't say enough. I have but one of those. How do you keep those lines of communication open so that they always know that you're a place that they can come and chat and be, be that sounding board? So I can jump in on this one uh, just because I love the research behind this. We've actually found now that a teenager's brain functions totally different than uh, than an adult's brain or a kid's brain, obviously, than our brains do as parents. And the first thing that's so significant when it comes to communication and teenagers is that their brains are awake and asleep at different times than ours, right? Okay. So when that teenagers, it absolutely does. <laughs> and isn't it nice? Cause you're like, okay, you're not just a lazy bum of a 16 year old, but the fact of the matter is proven that teenagers sleep patterns and brain patterns are different than ours, than parents. So teenagers, it is very true. They do their best communicating and talking late at night. That is when their mind oh, is moving no. and they want to be awake. It's exactly right. And so, and so what I call it, I call it being a late night listener. And if you want to know how to communicate and connect with your teenagers, you have to decide to be a late night listener. Now I feel the same way as you. It's like, like at 11, are you serious? Like I want you in bed. I want if I'm going to be communicating with anyone at 11, I want it to be my husband. Everybody else going to sleep or I'm getting work done. But if we want to communicate with our kids, we've got to be there at a time when they'll communicate with us. And late night is always best. There's a couple things here, too. They let down their guard. One, because they start to get tired. Another thing is late night. They've had a, 
had all day to digest and dissect what's happened to them. And so they have something to say. Coming home from school, they're still processing what's happening. Plus, they wish they slept till 11 anyways, because that's what their bodies tell them to do. So the faster we can become late night listeners and just go in and sit and be present when they're up or want to be up, the easier communication is. And it happens across the board, across the board. So that's my very first. I mean, there's lots we could throw, but... That's my very first one. Okay. And I say, I know, take a deep breath. It's okay. <laughs> I see. I, I, I used to be a late night person. Yeah. I really did. And I used to work from eight to midnight and now it's like, I can't do anything. I know, but yeah. read or relax or whatever. Absolutely. So you have to listen to your body. You do. But, but the I, hard thing is you, you, it doesn't mean it has to be every night. Right? right. But you start to weigh out and you're like, wait a second. If I profess to want a relationship with you and I want to be your mom and I want to do all I can to help and I want to be engaged. It looks like on Wednesday I'm going to yeah. have to stay up till one. Like, yeah. you, you start to see it that way. I also think right? you have to join the social media world. I, I text my daughters and my son, and they text me. And a lot of it is, a lot of it is, we send funny emojis to each other. Or I started to speak their language. Oh, I yeah, you text have to. years ago. Um, I was probably one of the later texters. And finally I was like, i got to get into this thing. But some of the best nicest sweetest messages come just because my kids in the moment send me a text message or they'll um send me a funny face you know and I, at times i've been against certain apps and then i go oh wait a minute this can be used for good okay as long as we do it within this michelle said the trough or heather said the trough you know our values but um i think that communication is good i also i'm going to throw this out there it's a little different twist but communication also has to be shown outside the family as to where you stand. And I chased my daughter down one day. Um, a boy had picked her up from school as a middle schooler. He was a high schooler. And let's see, I won't call it the moment that I call it because it's his name. So I will call it the Parker Stevens moment. Okay. I found out that All my names have been changed. Have been to changed. Protect the yes. innocent. Or, or, not, not, or innocent. not so innocent <laughs> yeah. in this situation. So my daughter, number two, uh, made up a story about going to her practice and that she was going to go over to so-and-so's house. And the little boy said, you need to check and make sure if daughter number two is there. Well, I called and the mother said no. And I had that sinking feeling to say, did she get picked up? And she said, um, I don't know, but I think, let me ask so-and-so. And, it, well, come to find out, this boy had picked her up from school. Well, I got on the phone and called my daughter and didn't let her know that I was on to her, but kind of played along and said, hey, what you doing? Where are you? And she kind of gave a little story, and I was like, mm, okay, so I don't really believe it. So where are you? Oh, well, I'm just at the top of the hill. Oh, well, you know what? I'm close to that hill. Let me just come say hi. Oh, well, I've passed that hill now. So, um, well, who are you with? And didn't come out. So long story short, 20 minutes later, I am literally, I yelled through the phone. You tell him, Parker Stevens, to pull over in that Harmon's parking lot and wait there for me. And by darn, Parker Stevens did. And I will never forget the moment. <laughs> pulling up next to Parker Stevens' white Honda getting out, knocking on his window, pointing, roll that window down, pointing to my daughter, get out of the car and saying, <laughs> Parker Stevens, this is not okay. And <laughs> my second daughter, number two gets out, she gets in the minivan and I say, you ever come near my daughter again? I will call the police. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I'm sure this boy was like, ah, ah, nothing had happened. 
but the reality is, is that someone from high school was willing to come to a junior high. To me, that's a big gap, you know, and my daughter was thinking, this is great. I'm home free. My mom never knows. So communication, yes, it happens with your children, but it also happens with the people outside who interact with your children. And by darn, there's a lot of my kids' friends that love me, but there's a lot of my friends' kids that know you don't mess with Sydney's mom because she (laughs) will track you down. (laughs) And that says something. And you know what? Sydney knows that it's love. Now she knows it's love. She was mad when the Parker Stevens moment happened because it, you know, all of a sudden she's young and she's like, oh, this boy thought it was so cute, whatever. And I'm like, you just ruined my But he totally crossed the line because he did not ask permission. He did not come to my door. You are this age. He is this age. And I think the communication that we give out, we can't. I've texted boys that I've seen texts that were iffy. This is so-and-so's mother. I read her texts. Do you want me to see this text? Because I do. Oh, you know, uh-huh. I mean, I'm terrified of you. But at the same time, I've seen some of these people now grow up. Now, some of them have served LDS missions or whatever. And I still say, boy, I'm so glad that I wasn't afraid to communicate the message. I protect my kids. I guard my kids. I go after my kids. I watch out after them. It's like Sister Beck said, um, we're guardians. We're lionesses at the gate. So communication isn't all nice, fuzzy, nice and happy you know, all the time, sometimes it's, it's down to business. And let me tell you why I have to do this and yeah. love, but communication is the key and positivity. And then coming back with lots and lots of love after you've approved. Sure. I think you're the best so. person to say that because you are the warmest, fuzziest person. <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> and so to see you crack down hard. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I would love to see this man as a grown man someday, you know, serving as a, a pastor or a bishop or something and going, I still remember that time at the Harmon's right. parking lot because, but I do, I think sometimes we need to not be so afraid. Okay. Before we close, I do want to give Jana a chance to share with us. We've been talking a little bit about helping your kids find good friends and helping your teens find ways to communicate and talk to you and helping your teens find things that they love to do so that they have something they can be happy about and passionate about. And that is, it helps them be anxiously engaged in a good cause. But we'd love your thoughts. What are your thoughts on raising good, strong teens? Okay. I think that um, helping them find their passion is huge. I think that um, our son, our youngest son is a skier. And he broke his arm the first day of Christmas break. Oh, oh, no. And he was the most miserable child on the planet because he had planned to do nothing but ski all of Christmas break. And um, it was really interesting because we got some doctor's advice and we he had it in a sling and not a cast. And um, finally, we realized that if he had a a half cast splint and some ace bandages, it would keep it completely sturdy. And we let him ski, which is everyone's probably going, you're the worst mom in the world. Okay, whatever. But (laughs) (laughs) he's a happy kid. He needed that release. He needs that physical outlet. And for him, that was a really big deal. And I think he was glad that we were able to relax on that and trust him just a little bit. Sure. And he was been cautious and, um, it's meant a lot to him to be able to do that. We did keep him down for probably a couple of weeks, you know, but I mean, this has been, yeah, it happened like in the middle of 
of December. It's been like two months. So, but how great for him to know that you were going to do everything you could to make sure that he could get to do what he loves to do. Um, I think that says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And to his credit, you know, he wanted something else and we went back and forth with the doctor and he was really respectful to the doctor. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like it came out like everybody knew that what he wanted was important and his health was important too. Right. And he probably got that message too. He's like, I don't want to break my arm. I don't want to break my legs. I don't want to break my other things. But he's also said, because he knows what that's like and that that's going to keep him down. And so in some ways, I think it also, you gave him the flexibility to also check his own limits and bounds. And you probably know him well enough to know that he's also not going to be super crazy. Well, and I think that's the key there is he, there's comfort in him knowing my parents understand me. They get me. Yeah. And, and whether it's teenagers or young kids, that acceptance takes us further than anything else we can ever do with our kids. If they know, we understand. And it's the same with adults, right? If our spouses understand us, I trust my husband when I know he understands me in any relationship. When I feel understood, I, I trust. And Mm -hmm. so for our teenagers to know in that situation, especially that he, you got him, that you understood him. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be more respectful. Yeah. He might still ski, but he's going to make sure he doesn't break anything. He's going to be careful oh, yeah. and cautious. Way more cautious. He's not doing backflips, <laughs> right. you know, off the jumps or whatever. And yeah. And that's been, that's been great. And, and he doesn't know that we trust him and we get him. <laughs> and I think with every teenager that we've raised, that's been key, mm-hmm. whether it's, Oh, I see that you've had a problem with your friend group and you're shifting gears here. Yes, I'll be home with you on Friday nights to play cards. Right, right. Right? Whatever that child needs in the moment, just being observant and and being there for them is huge. It's all about learning and growth. And if we forget that that they are going to make mistakes, they're going to bump and bruise. But it's about learning. It's about growth, and, and, and that's what you have to keep reminding yourself because it's a bumpy ride. But just remember, you're going to learn. They're going to learn. They're going to grow. You're going to grow. But it's about learning and growth and food. And food. <laughs> yes, it is about food. Teenagers yes. need food. They need so much food. We have the second drawer in our kitchen is a snack drawer, and it is just full of snacks. And my son's friends walk in and just open the drawer, and I'm like, yes, I'm glad that you know that's where that is and that you are welcome here anytime. Yes. It's so funny because I remember my mom as a single mom with limited resources, um, stressing about the food and she wasn't home all day. And so she'd come home from work and she'd be freaked out about whatever was eaten when she wasn't there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I've seen a quote recently that says, um, allow your teenagers and their friends to come in and let them eat like that, that that's just such a big thing. But I think back on that all the time. Yeah. Gosh, it's great conversation. We could go on for a lot longer. We probably have some other conversations that we can have about raising teenagers. But one thing I will say is that you have made me feel like I can do it. You can do it. Okay. I might have to, I might have to phone a friend. What do I do now? I don't know what to do. (laughs) You guys are the greatest. Uh, well, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Living Room. If you love the conversations that we're having about parenting, you can go back and see some of our other shows. Um, one of our favorites is Confessions of Motherhood, which is one of the first shows that we did. So if you are new to The Living Room, we hope you'll go back and at least listen to that one. We also hope that you'll join the conversations that we have going on our social media channels at From The Living Room on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to give yourself and your teens some living room. Thanks for coming to The Living Room. We hope you've enjoyed listening, laughing, and learning something new. Join us for our next show. 
And in the meantime, give yourself and those you love some living room.